Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nice. And this is going to be our recap first of the E3 Saxo Bank Classic, formerly known as Harrell Becker. Um, didn't know that Saxo Bank was still allowed to sponsor things in cycling, but here we are. Uh, not their fault, I guess. We'll also have the Volta Catalunya Stage 5 recap finishing in Man So if you're watching on YouTube, that'll be a separate video. But E3 first on the pod, Catalonia second. Before we get into that, I want to mention something from our show partner, LaCole. Not a kit launch this time, but I know a lot of you ride, probably 90% of you although I don't know the exact number right as well. LeCole do group Zwift rides with Chris Opie, formerly of GCN. I think one of them is on Friday mornings at 7.10 in the morning, Greenwich Mean Time. I think that's 8.10 for continental Europe and America early. But maybe some of you are crazy and get up super early. So the link is in the LeCole Instagram bio, and you can check that out if you're interested. But on to E3, Saxo Bank Classic, Benji. Can you just let people know, where is this in Flanders? How is the route different to, say, a Hent Wevelhem or a Tour of Flanders? So it finished in Heidelbeke. Obviously, it's the uh, Adrie Heidelbeke without the sponsor name added to it. It's uh, near the south of West Flanders. And... Uh, near the region where the Tour of Flanders is being ridden. So it takes a lot of the similarly, uh, yeah, vacant climbs as in those races, like the Autoquadamont, like the Paterberg and so forth. So it's basically in that same area as the Ronde van Vlaanderen. When it comes to uh, Kent Webelgem, this one goes a bit more towards the area where the Kemmelberg lies. And that's one that you cannot see in the Ronde van Vlaanderen, for example. So uh, I think that's the real difference between those two races. So... Yeah, Edri and Ronde van Vlaanderen basically in the similar area. Okay, start list, absolutely stacked. Uh, Wout van Aert, Mathieu van der Poel uh, and Quickstep's team with last last year's winner, Zidnek uh, Stieber, Lampard, de Klerk, Ballerini, Seneschal, van Leeberger and Askren, obscene team. Azure Dessert, Citroën, got the supposed to be good Cobbled, Classics team, Van Avermaet, Oliver Narsen, Standerwolf, Cher, uh, Tuze, Geisch, Van Hocker, Sepp Van Mark, Tidcock, some of the other big names here, and Stefan Kung. The course, 204Ks. A lot of the climbs Benji mentioned, probably the big one is the Tienberg with 80Ks to go is where it really kicks off. And they've got, it's just a series of climb, constant climbs, barely any flat in except the last 13 kilometers so recovery is almost impossible the last major climb is at uh Tiechenberg, which comes with about 20 kilometers to go that's the one that oliver narson famously got dropped on but 
the action really kicked off when Quinn Simmons attacked before the Tyenberg with in front of Sturvin. He just attacked, rolled off the front. Not sure whether he was just worried there was going to be a move on the Tyenberg and wanted to be up the front, but no one went with him. And then in the run to the Tyenberg, the 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 run into these climbs is so hectic and the roads are so narrow. I still don't know how they're legally allowed to be two two way roads. Uh, just doesn't seem right to me. And Quickstep just flooded the front with about eighty one k's to go with their stack team, and then absolutely launched it on the Tyenberg. Who was their main initiator, Benji? Was it Seneschal or Lampard? We saw that Lampard and Osgren were the two riders that went okay. to the front. So uh, those were the riders that were making the biggest of moves at that Tyenberg. And the thing about this Tyenberg is it, it's a climb where Bonin always attacked. So I think it's in the hearts of Bikuning to do something here. They set this entire attack up. And I was kind of expecting a bit of a test move because in the past, Tom Bonin went on this climb to give an initial try and see how everybody would respond if he goes for his first attack in the race. And well, quite simply, we started the Tyenberg with basically a peloton and we were... 75% in, and two recurring riders at the front. We saw that Van der Poel and Van Aert were countering those two, and I think we topped with five riders together, and then a bit of a gap, then two riders there, then a bit of a gap, then one rider there, yeah. then a bit of a gap, and eventually it really came down to a group of, I think, 13, right? Yeah, maybe a little bit less than That's that. Fine. It had four quick-step riders, Lampard, Seneschal, Stieber, Askren, crazy while van art van der poel trentin michael matthews and jesper sturven soren Anderson was sort of trying to catch back onto them after the time so everyone was isolated except the four de Koenig riders i should say for completeness that there was a breakaway up the road uh not too far up the road and not too threatening for anybody. Greipel, Marco Halla, Milan, uh, Jacobs, Yellow Allies in there, but no one from De Koenig or Alperson or Jumbo Visma. And Wafanart had a flat tyre. And now you said, Benji, on, on Twitter, disc brakes were an issue. I didn't actually catch the repair or what was going on the me- with the mechanical was there a slow changeover did they change bikes did they change the wheel it was a shimano uh the shimano dudes that um okay came, well and helped them and eventually ended up in the second group so i was making a bit of a disc brake joke as always when uh when this happens to a rider with disc brakes on because on, on many occasions when it's a back wheel and so forth it's basically yeah if you're a rider with a back wheel issue and you've got this brakes on, then you're going to have trouble replacing either the wheel or, or figuring out how to fix that. So that's going to take longer than... If it's a front wheel, I think it's easier to do so, but I could be wrong there. But it's still uh, it's significantly longer than with, uh, with different brakes, with rim brakes. So, uh, yeah, I think that... I don't know if it impacted here, but it sure as hell had him drop to the second group. And eventually that led towards Yumbo taking over in the second group. And it kind of changed the, the scales, tipped the scales of the race a bit because we thought that the second yeah. group was potentially already gone. Because, well, if all the important people are in the front group, then 
it could just as easily be that group going to the finish line, but it was still like 75, 80 kilometers to go. So a long way from the finish line. And yeah, that Wout van Aert puncture tipped the scales. Yeah, definitely. I think that that Wout van Aert puncture at that moment, because you've got to remember, it's pretty much an elite break group. Wout van Aert dropping meant that they, Jumbo Visma, burned all their riders, bringing Wafanart back and took a few Ks to do so. With 70, 67 Ks to go, they were 20 seconds behind that Van der Poel group. 66 Ks to go, they got on the Bornjenberg, Askren attacked, and this is what Quickstep do. They don't get multiple riders, well, except for Omelive 2015, but <laughs> if they get multiple riders in a group, early with 60Ks to go. It's not just to pace everybody to the last five kilometres. It's to attack. So Askren, big engine, attacked with 66 to go. Well, for now, we knew, though, with Askren attacking and with all of the other riders not having teammates to Koenigstein to block in that group of favourites, we knew Walfenau uh, was coming back. So that was fine for him, but it just changed whether that group was... I thought it was going to work better. He gets back, Van der Poel attacks immediately. Uh, maybe he could have attacked a bit earlier. I'm not sure if the unwritten rules apply in classics. <laughs> and <laughs> You want to he, see the world burn, he, mate. <laughs> yeah, I know. Maybe there's beef between Van der Poel and Wapanat. But he didn't get too much of a gap. Who was bringing him back, Benji? Oh, uh, good question. I don't actually remember who took back uh, Van der Poel. I think Van Aert was one of the first riders to get back to yeah. Van der Poel's wheel. And we saw that the people behind there were struggling. That was the likes of De Koenig at the front of that group trying to close down Van Aert. And that seemed to be working because, well, De Koenig had one very, very powerful Stibar today. Like, oh yeah, I was super surprised. It's been since 2019 E3, like you mentioned earlier, that... Um, he showed that he was one of the stronger cobblerides, didn't have a good season last year, and today he came back, and holy crap, he was good today, because he just went to Wout van Aert's wheel, Wout van Aert closed that down to Van der Poel, and it kind of stopped a tiny bit, but the tempo still kept on... Uh, I'd say that the tempo still worked for a tiny bit, but eventually that that group came back together, and there were continuous attacks in that group, and then yeah. a bit of a, a second group formed behind Asgren, because of the continuous attacks with the likes of uh, a UNOX rider. Shout out to those guys. Like, generally, one of the <laughs> one of the teams that totally deserve the wild cards they get. Every single time they're in a race, we see them oh, basically the entire race today again with Hulgard in the group with Oliver Nassen, Turgi, and a few others. And that was a group that was chasing Osgren at that moment. And, well, I think that was there one De Koenig rider in there as well? I think I remember one. Yes, there was a De Koenig group, De Koenig rider in pretty much every group. It might have been <laughs> Stibar or Seneschal. So basically what Benji said, for the next hour, we have Kasper Askren just floating off the front, riding his pace, and everyone getting it to within 20 seconds. There was a Narsen stefan Kung group, They'd attacked out of the Wout van Aert, Mathieu van der Poel group and like were lingering off the front. And this is all playing into Quickstep's hands because instead of a, the large 
25, 20 rider group working together seamlessly. It was basically the second or third tier favourites like the Azure Desert and Kung group working without too much help. And then the top favourites, Wildfanart and MVDP in the third group, like a minute back, having to pull on their own. So they're getting tired as well. All the while, Stieber, Seneschal, uh, Lampard was coming back with Dylan Van Baal. They were able to sit on for a lot of the race as well. So skipping forward to about the, uh, maybe before the Paterberg, Van Avermaet was in a group with Stieber and Van der Poel and uh, Van Aert decided to attack out of that group. I think they were trying to get back to the Narsen group, they bridged or worked into that gap and had 20 seconds. They were 20 seconds behind the behind Askarin going into the Isle de Quartermont. So we've got Narsen, Kung, I think, Van Aert, Van der Poel, still Askarin at 20 seconds. And multiple times they'd brought him to 11 seconds, 12 seconds. They'd get really close. Quick step would come and block. Everyone was tired. NVDP and Wild Fun Art would look behind and say, come on, guys, someone else help us out here. And it would go out once again. And that's just the strength of Kasper Askren. 33 Ks to go, 17 seconds for Kasper Askren. We're thinking, how can he stay out all this time? Vermeersh is helping NVDP in the chase. Benji, do you think riders like Kung, Ajadua, Citroen, I know De Koenig had a big numerical advantage. Do you think they used their, some of their other helpers quickly enough or regularly enough to chase back Haskarin? I think it took a tiny bit for Vermeers to get to the front and it was mostly noticeable the moment where uh, I think the De Koenig riders were always in second wheel because like, they're an expert at blocking tempo in a group. Like Every single time one of their riders is at the front, they put their riders in second and even third and fourth wheel just to make sure that when the first rider looks behind, he stares directly into the Koenig rider and the tempo blocks. And this was the case today because in that situation, well, the first rider didn't really want to ride anymore because he'd been riding for like a kilometer then. And he looks behind and it's all the Koenig riders and the tempo stops and it didn't just stop for like 10 seconds. It kind of stopped for like 20 seconds, 30 seconds. And yeah. then Vermeers came to the front and I was like, oh, that's late, man. Come on. Somebody needed to react quicker. You've got multiple teams there with multiple teammates. And even a Nassen or Van Avermaet should, at this point, think in their heads who of the two should be working for the other. And I think they've got a real issue there as well. We'll talk about it later. Um, and I just wanted to highlight the pure art when it comes to the Koenig, their masterclass in blocking the tempo in groups and... I saw a moment where I think Stibar was in second wheel and Seneschal was like fifth wheel and he moved past everybody to get into the wheel of Stibar and everybody let it happen. So the others just just let it happen, the blocking of the tempo. And that's that's an issue. You gotta try and counter that. You gotta try and say to the guy that's in the first place pacing, okay, we're gonna do this together because otherwise it ain't gonna work. And Van der Poel had been working a lot in that group, like crazy. Bernard came to the front with Van der Poel at a certain point, also working like mad. And eventually that gap of 10, 11, 12 seconds, it, it went up again. 20 seconds, 25 seconds, 37 seconds at a certain point. And I was like, oh God, this dude's been riding solo for like 
49 kilometers already. What are they going to do? They've got one climbing section left, and that's the Tichenberg. And if we all remember that, that's the place where Oliver Narsen should basically drop, theoretically, because uh, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's this infamous climb that he always seems to drop on, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, tell us through what happened. So they went into that climb. We were thinking NVDP and Welpenart hadn't been pulling so hard in the last five kilometers going into that climb. Gap was 30 thanks to quick step blocking. Welpenart attacked early on that climb. Big attack, but then Matthew van der Poel basically got a lead out from him on the climb, counted over the top of him with 20Ks to go and formed a group two 12 seconds behind Askren with two Azure-Desert Citroen riders, Van Avermaet, Nyssen, but unfortunately brought with them Seneschal and Stibar, two quick-step riders with Askren still up the road. Nyssen and Van Avermaet started to cooperate with Van der Poel. They had to because the quick-step guys were obviously going to block in that group. Van Avermaet was basically pulling in this third group, uh, I think it had Marco Haller still in there from the break. It wasn't a particularly strong group. A lot of riders were sitting on. I think Vermeersch was there and not pulling because Van der Poel was up the road. And it became very clear that they were going to close down Askren. Three riders working against him. He'd been up the road for 50-plus Ks at this point. He got closed down with 12 Ks to go. There's no climbs left at this point in the race, but... A lot of road furniture. They go into Harald Becker, twists and turns and corners. Quick step riders can lose the wheel through corners. Eight and a half Ks to go. There's 20 seconds to the Walfen Arc group. And people are messaging me saying, why haven't the De Koenig riders attacked yet? They got three riders. They got Askren, Seneschal, and Stibar in this group. Well, firstly, Seneschal and Stibar are quick, probably quick. So, you want to work over basically MVDP. I don't think they were too concerned about Narsen or Van Avermaet at all, really. Big concern was MVDP. He was working with them. So we've got Waffenard distanced. Why don't we get, get it to 5Ks, 4Ks, and then start to work over MVDP? Not too early. That also allowed Askren to sit on. He got caught with 12Ks to go. You can't then attack at 9Ks to go. He was able to sit on for 6, 7Ks, not pulling at all, and then attacked with 5 kilometers to go. He immediately got a gap of about 5 seconds. MVDP was on the front. He didn't, he didn't like a tr- attack across that gap. He just accelerated in the saddle a little bit. As you deserve Citroën, Benji, what were they doing at that point? Neither of them just started to pull. It was attack, stop, attack, stop with Narsen and Van Avermaet. Yeah, exactly. And if we if we give context to the situation, it's basically that in these last five kilometers before the Asgren attack, the Koenig had been helping out the pains with the two riders they had next to Asgren, which means that they're slowly but surely thinking away or making sure the others don't think about Asgren still hanging at the back of the group. and. That is also, I think, what helped Osgren to get that initial lead because he chose to attack just before a traffic island in the middle with one of those yellow, huge signaling things that they have in these The Luca Paolini special. Yeah, 
and he decided to attack around that, making sure that the others couldn't directly see it on the other side of the road. And they're like, oh, he's attacking. But in that situation, if you have two riders are just there in that group, one of the two needs to react. If nobody reacts, Vanderpool isn't going to do it alone. The man is riding alone. He's got no teammates. The Koenig isn't going to close it down. So it all comes down to, well, not Von Bale either because he doesn't have a teammate. So it all comes down to Aja Dezer. And they've got two riders there. We've got Van Avermaet sitting in the wheel of... Was it in the wheel of Van der Poel or no. the wheels behind? No, I think all of that's Aston the problem. The yep. It's what you mentioned before, Benji. You've got Van der Poel in the front. Seneschal yep. and Stibar on his wheel. We've got three Ks to go. The gap's out to 10 seconds plus. Van der Poel's doing his best to pull, but he's going to flick the elbow at some point. Yep. He can't close it on his own. I mean, Askren, crazy strong, even to be able to attack yeah. at that point. And it's only when he flicks the elbow, he's got two grinning Cheshire cats, the navy blue De Koenig guys who look at him and say, nah. And then Van Avermaet and Narsen are like, oh, yeah, we should probably move up and try and help. It's like, it's too late. You've just given away three seconds again when that happens. And it's like you, you have to choose to sacrifice one at one point if you want to get a result, a good result from the race. And they didn't. And both of them were in the lead group at the end. Neither of them got on the podium. And I think maybe they didn't have the legs to win anyway, whatever. But you got to sacrifice one, I think. Yep. And we mentioned it in the Ash to Citroën preview podcast. This happened with Greg Van Avermaet with Trenton at CCC last year in Stage 19 of the Tour, of Tour and Stage 14. It's He rides, I think in a way that he believes everyone should be riding for him, but he's not that rider anymore. And I think sometimes he needs to sacrifice at this point in his career. But anyway, two Ks to go. Van der Poel attacks. Seneschal closes it. Uh, Askren's pretty much got 15 seconds. It's, it's unbelievable the guy that's been clear for 60 Ks almost, and then he attacks again with five Ks to go. He's riding away with the victory, ends up winning by oof, 32 seconds on the group behind who started finessing with 1,500 metres, 1K to go, and the quicks, yeah, Askren wins the Danish national champion in the red. Seneschal won the bunch sprint, the second, third, Matthew van der Poel. But I want to throw to you again, Benji. When was the last time Quickstep with this demoralizing with their blocking <laughs> with their tactics for the other riders probably Brugge de Pan last year to be honest but this one's really yeah. memorable for me yeah this one's very memorable indeed because it's so linear in the way that they did it the situations unfolded and it was unfolding before our eyes we kind of could predict what they were going to do because it was it was kind of obvious what they were trying to enforce and we knew that someone of the three would attack at the end I was thinking perhaps it would be Stibar more because I didn't I didn't see Osgren having the energy for another attack coming, like genuinely. The man had been riding alone for 60 <laughs> kilometers and then he gets caught and then he attacks again for a, a solo of five kilometers. But um, tactical masterclass <laughs> and I think the blocking yeah. was shown today. I think last year we saw the same in uh, not the year before when Jungles won something. I don't remember which race, but um, he won a solo 
as well, was it? Kerner. Kerner? Yeah. Um, I think uh, I think the majority of this race, the Koenig was in, in somewhat of a full control. I think the only situation where they weren't 100% okay with was the attack of Vanderpool where Van Aert was following and then Stibar had to counter it. I think that's the only moment where they were like, oh, we got to hurry now because otherwise this ain't coming back. And they got that back and they kind of made sure that a situation like RVV last year did not happen. But you got to realize this is a very strong team and Ballerini is going to be better in the likes of against Abraham than in this kind of race. But Alaphilippe's not even here yet. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Well, I think we we call it tactics. We call it a tactical masterclass. And you just brought it up there. It's easy to be a DS and say, get in every move. Yeah. You've got a man up the road. Mark everything. But when Wafana leads out Matthew van der Poel on the Teichenberg and then van der Poel counters, <laughs> there's not many people who can follow that. And... If Stiebar can't follow that with Seneschal, then you've got Walfanaat, Matthew van der Poel. They'll do a two-up TT, and they would have closed down Kasper Askren, and then they would have ridden with Askren on their wheel because they wouldn't have cared about him in the sprint. And one of those two probably would have won unless Quickstep had chased on the, the flat behind, which they may well have done too because Walfanaat and MVP were tired at this point. But... You got to have the legs too, and Stibar didn't win today. Didn't get on the podium, but whew, very, very high level from him. And yeah, it's just—I mean, we criticised as you do a Citroen a little bit, but at the end of the day, Quickstep had the numbers. They were too strong. They got in every move, every group, all day, and they would deserve to get the victory. And particularly memorable for Askren, just rounding up the top ten. Askren, Seneschal, Thunderpol, Narsen, Stieber, Van Avermaet, Van Baala, gap of 90 seconds. To Marcus Hulgard, eighth for UNOX, great result. Jenny Vadimirsch and Marco Haller, a much deser- deserved top 10 as my voice cracks. While Van Aert, not <laughs> he kind of was cooked at that point. He missed a bit on it at some point. Don't know if that made a difference. He got a one a couple of hundred meters later. But yeah, what do you think about? How does this impact, say, Flanders, the, the classics to come, Benji? You know, it's pretty obvious this is the sort of thing Quickstep's trying to do. If you're Jumbo Visma, what do you take away from this race to try and do differently? Well, it kind of leads us to discussing what Van Aert did on Tichembeide because he basically, I feel like it was a pure frustration attack in the sense was that... Was it necessary? It wasn't necessary. It, was, it wasn't necessary, like... It wasn't necessary because. You think Askren was closing anyway? Well, looking at the Vanderpool attack afterwards, he probably would have done that attack if Fanard didn't do it. But my main issue with it is that I think it was a pure frustration attack. And they had been the only two people pacing in that group for like a tiny bit before that Tichem. And. I feel like on the Tichemberg, Wout van Aert was just like, well, fuck this. If nobody else is going to help us, then I'm just going to push in an attack and hope you all you all drop. And then he put himself to the side and he didn't really even bother following Van der Poel's initial move. He just went off to the side directly after his attack. So he probably was like, go, I don't really care. 
And then after like five seconds, he was like, okay, probably I should care. I need to get back in this train. And then was too late to follow. So it was weird. It, like you don't attack and then then drop like that instantly in such a nonchalant way. It, it Like I, I don't believe that it was just out of, oh, I need to attack and then you're done. No, he was thinking, he was, I think he was frustrated. I think today also showed both Van der Poel and Wout van Aert that they're tremendous talents. Yeah. But in these classics, if you're isolated and have three quick step riders in the group, you have a very low probability of winning and you're going to get worked over. So they actually do need each other to work together to close down moves late. And I think a group of five or six, even with two or three quick step riders, they can manage that together. Ken Babelham last year, group of 12 plus, too big to control problems. Isolated Van der Poel today. It was, if Askren, if he brought, thing is, if he rode full, brought Askren back, Stiebar would have attacked and maybe Stiebar would have won. And if he got brought back, <laughs> Seneschal would have attacked. So it really... He was damned if he did, damned if he didn't, to be honest. But that was our E3 Saxo Bank Classic recap. We hope you enjoyed it. Before the race started, I just finalised a deal uh, to show highlights of all the Flanders Classics races, similar sort of highlights that I've been showing for the ASO races on my channel. Uh, it doesn't include Tour of Flanders. Uh, there's some EBU stuff with that this year, but I'll have Ken Weibelheim this weekend, men and women's Brabantse Pale, Shell de Preish, Wildstore of Landeren, where I think Landerpol and Alphilippe are racing, as well as Amstel Gold Race, uh, if I haven't missed anything. So that's really exciting. So I won't just have stage races and have some of those Flanders Classics races as well. So that's pretty good news. And that's mainly thanks to all your support on my main channel etc but the podcast helps too because the race organizers look at the podcast and they're like holy like <laughs> the previews the support the engagement is crazy people really love it and um they probably just like it for benji to be honest i'm a bit yeah, too i, I bit completely too understand how they would yeah. come to such a great opinion <laughs> yeah all right that was the e3 recap on to the Volta Ciclista of Catalunya stage five. It was a 200k stage from La Pobla de Segur to Manres. It's just a real, if you were a rider or a DS on Ineos, you'd be like, oh, 200, those climbs, <laughs> 2,500 meters climbing, two main climbs today. First early for break formation, the Col de Comioles. Not too threatening though, like oh, 6Ks, 5%, 7Ks, 5%. Then with about 25Ks to go, it, the, uh, the last climb of crest crested the Port de Montserrat, 7Ks at about 6.5%. So that's a little bit harder than a sort of ridge undulations, than a long up and down descent to the finish in Manresa northwest of Barcelona and the Catalan region. This blew up Benji 
before live coverage, me and Benji were following via the tweets. We were like, what the fuck is going on? Was there any moment, Benji, where you thought Adam Yates is actually not going to win this Catalonia? Actually, no. I think that the initial news there was that a breakaway of 12 was gone, which was not really troublesome. But Ineos started pulling that back because they probably thought to themselves, well, this 12-man group is, is too much. We want like four hours to get away because then then we can control everything <laughs> beautifully and then we don't need to care all day and then they can just go on their jolly way and take the stage. But, um, well, they pulled that back and for a second it looked like we had a two-man breakaway after that with on the top of the uh, first climb. We had a Cavagna-Mohoric attack and those two riders were getting a bit of a gap, but the descent afterwards just exploded the entire peloton because... I don't know how it happened. We don't know how it happened. But suddenly the ticker was showing that we had a breakaway of those two riders. But then a group of 44 riders in total that were chasing back <laughs> these two riders. And not a single Ineos rider was in this group. But the advantage for Ineos here was that while their initial plan of not having a large breakaway was failing completely, so they had to chase all day from that point, they didn't have anyone GC treacherous in that group. I think Biscara was the first one in that group yeah, on four, four minutes, minutes and seven seconds. So it, it's not super close. It's also not super far. So they will still need to work all day. And I think their plan of having a smaller breakaway by bridging up the 12-man breakaway kind of backfired. But I think that's uh, in hindsight. <laughs> we can't say anything. Well, no, Benji. The... The breakaway that was now 3.35 ahead of them and having a pace full had the same riders that were in it that they paced back anyway. And I don't know why they were too fussed about them. It still had Knox, Walter, Moric, uh, Ida Schelling, Goldstein, Davide La Cruz. They were in the initial move that they brought back in the first 20Ks. And this is why the Tour de France is great if you're like a fanatic. You can see all this action in the break formation in these medium mountain stages with the battle between the GC teams being like, oh, don't like that break, and then it's full gas. And they get brought back. And then, yeah, that group of those riders I mentioned, they had 40 seconds on this 40-man group with Kreisweik and Vizcara. I was looking at the ticker like, I wouldn't mind some live coverage right now. Then another gap of 90 seconds plus back to Ineos with it strung out. Average speed, like 47 k's an hour for three hours. Crazy. Um, and so, yeah, Ineos, which is pacing. Movistar, I think, Benji? Had they? No, they had Solaire. They had Solaire up front in the uh, Aronsman Schelling group. And then counterattacks started to happen. Remy Cavagna attacked on like a rolling climb with 53 and a half Ks to go. Everyone looked at each other and was like, don't feel like chasing back <laughs> Remy Cavagna. There weren't many teams in that group. The 40, like 40 plus man group wasn't working too well together. Ineos were pacing. They were 447 behind Cavani with 30 Ks to go. So he was pretty much just riding solo. Um, but he lost so much time on that last climb, Benji. He had the Climby boys chasing him, Reichenbach, Kreisweik, uh, Biscara, Kemner, Verona for Movistar. And, yeah, I think they caught him 
over the crest and then what happened then it exploded again with that break yes it exploded again but it were like these these attacks left and right and left and right from that point because they went into this descent that leads towards well um the finish line obviously <laughs> and um on the top there you you notice that the three riders that were initially catching uh Cavania were the Kreisberg, Verona and uh, another rider. Oh, it's, and it's just Harper. Was it was it Harper? I think it might have been Harper. Oh. Okay. The Vingegaard, I think, but uh in the end Sorry. I think that Sorry, uh, Chris. <laughs> I think that I, well, I wasn't meaning I was, I was actually a mistake. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think that Verona was the next rider to go on a solo ride and that yes. solo ride didn't take too long and it really came down to him getting caught and a bit of the the chaos that ensues when somebody gets caught, who's going to take over, who's going to do something that allowed another rider to give an opportunity to go on the attack. And that was going into the final 10 kilometers already. And then at Kemna took the left side of the road, passed everybody in the descent. And the first rider in the group, which was Verona, who just got caught, did not react directly. And the rest of the group didn't yeah. go past Verona. So he gets this initial gap of like 100 meters, 200 meters. And that easily becomes a good 10 seconds, 15 seconds if nobody in the group behind directly goes for the counterattack. I think the first one to do so was Elijah's Bear, but that was already at a moment where I was like, Kemna's gone. The man's super tucking against the 1st of April band that is coming up. And he was like, oh yeah, I'm going to take this one home. And I, I completely believe from that point onwards that there was nothing except for like bad luck that could pull him out of this position. Yeah, it was... A group that didn't have any teams with multiple teammates except for Uran and Ruben Guerrero and Education First, Nippo, behind him. And you could just see we weren't getting time gaps on this descent. Uh, we, we had the time gap to Ineos, which was they were just pacing with Castro Viejo and Dennis and then Carapaz actually on this last climb on a day they would like to forget two days in a row. Ineos have had to work way harder than they would have hoped to. Uh, because of breakaways today it was maybe their fault but yeah that group of Biscara, Kreuzweig, Knox, Dora, Steele and Smith, Reichenbach, maybe Benji, Reichenbach got on the front before one of the corners in the descent and let a 15 second gap <laughs> go. He's not the man you want chasing on a descent. Ask Tom Dumoulin uh, from the Giro 2018. So Leonard Kemner, I counted it when he went under the flam rouge. He had a 30-second gap. He's a quick descender. We saw on yesterday's stage in his early move, he did barely lost any time to Ineos on the descent towards the last climb of Bourseney. And today, God, he was quick on that descent, super tucking, Froome super tucking, pedaling uh, whilst in that position. Do you see – I mean – Benji, there's going to be so many comments on my highlight video being like, why wasn't he sent to UCI prison got <laughs> in uh, Lausanne? But, yeah, great to see Kamna after missing out on stage one, maybe GC not going the way he wanted, Sagan not looking great for Bora Hansgrohe, Kelderman. Kelderman's actually good, actually, for a guy that was so seriously injured. But Bora not getting something with shelling from the break, Winning today's stage with Leonard Kamner, massive result for them. Ahead of, I think it was Ruben Guerrero, Benji, and then Biscara, a deserved third, 39 and 42 seconds back. 
then a group of Smith, Dan Martin, Morich, Knox, Falter, Uran, and Kreuzweich. GC, no real changes. I think Kamner must have lost. He must have got properly dropped yesterday when he got caught by Dennis Benji. I didn't realise that. Uh, so Kamner, that was maybe why he appeared in that breakaway so easily today. But big win for him. A question, Benji. Is Kemner Raphael Micah and should embrace that and try and rack up those Grand Tour stage wins or should he focus on GC and, you know, the, the Molimer thing? I've got my view on it, but I want to see what you think. I think the problem that he clearly has right now is that he's a combination of both and doesn't know what to choose. And it's hard for us to make the decision for that, but I believe that he can win multiple stage wins in a Grand Tour if he goes for that. But he needs to make the decision for... Yeah, in Detour, for example. But he needs to make the decision of doing that for himself. Does he want to pull this forward and become a rider that can land in the back of the top 10? 8th, ninth, 10th in a Grand Tour somewhere? Or does he want to extend this and go for stage win? It's the same thing we saw with Godou at the Vuelta last year. Kamna could yeah. do the exact same thing, winning two stages. But he could also do what Godou can probably do, which is getting 8th, ninth, or 10th in a Grand Tour somewhere. Yeah, I think for Bora, I know this is just once one stage race, but Kelderman's TT is pretty money, you got to say. Like, first TT on new equipment after he, what, he broke his fucking back or something? Like, I thought he pretty badly hurt himself in that crash not that long ago. And he was really good in that TT. We got 55Ks of TT in the tour. I think, yeah, Kelderman's consistent. I think, I mean, I've been critical of him before, but you got to say a guy coming back that quickly from injury and performing that well, coming top 10, top six here, it's pretty solid. And I think... He should be their top 10 GC guy tour. And I think if you want the headlines and to get Germany hyped, I think Kamner going for big mountain stage wins is the play at the moment. But listen, we've seen with the salaries, if you want to earn the big, big money, top 10 Tour de France results on GC seems to be what gets people paid a lot of money like a lot of people look at yeah some riders that have got top 10 top 5 GC results and like wow you get paid a lot for someone who doesn't win that often compared to someone like uh or or someone but yeah what do you think he should do Benji if you or if you were Bora do you think that I'm drawing too much from this race or yeah what would you do if you were Bora um if I was him, I would like to win more stages than getting in the back of a top 10 because I'd like to win more than getting 8th, 9th, or 10 in a Grand Tour. But the problem is if you never test out to become an 8th, 9th, or 10 rider, then you also don't know yeah. if there are capabilities in you that lead to something more in the future. So uh, I don't know what Borob needs to decide. I think that when it comes to the Tour de France, it's difficult because there's actually not too much like heavy-duty huge mountain stages, but if he loses two to four minutes on, on no, two I mountain think that's stages, good. then it's an issue. Yeah? Because 
you'll have the scenario where the GC teams, maybe if Ineos or whatever, have time with Thomas or Walfenard or Roglic have time or Pogacar have time, the GC teams will be like, oh, descent finish. Not much to gain on GC here. On the Ventoux stage, for example, uh, maybe, you know, maybe they're like, oh, descent finish, how much time on GC can, can you gain? Famous last words, Kamna, descent finish, outstanding. So, yeah, I know last year he said he really wants to try to see what level he can get on GC. I think I agree he should definitely try that. The TT, um, maybe cost himself with a stage one move. I think this year, fails him, I'd go stage hunting in the tour, build your name, and then really focus on Vuelta GC. He can get a top 10 in the Vuelta, I think. Um, yeah, so I know I know it's different sort of climbs, but he's a really good climber. And yes, Pogaccio and Roglic will probably be there, but the field is not as deep. The teams are not as stacked. The trains are not as strong as the Tour de France. But yeah, Catalonia, stage six tomorrow is from Tarragona to Mataro. Another oh, up and down, over 2,000 metres elevation gain, 203-kilometre stage, just a nasty one. This is a hard one-week race at Catalonia. Only two categorised climbs, none other of which particularly scary, 10.5Ks, 3%, 3Ks at 3%, cresting about, oh, 15Ks from the finish. In my preview, I was like, Remy Cavagna, all day, every day of breakaway because that last climb absolutely <laughs> destroyed him. He, yeah, whereas these climbs aren't as threatening. Break, surely it's a breakaway tomorrow. Benji and Ineos won't care about this stage. Well, it depends how many people are in the break, or if it's 50 people, then they have to care at some <laughs> yeah. point. 80, so, uh, 80 riders. Yeah. Uh, the benefit for the breakaway is that it's got a climbing section at the start of the stage, which means that there's a possibility for a lot of riders to get away, 12 to 14 riders perhaps. But if it's 12 riders, then it looks like Ineos decides to uh, counter that. So, yeah, I'm curious. It's going to be a, a tougher day than people might think because despite it not having huge climbs, it does look like it goes up and down straight from the start to the finish line. And, yeah, I think that you might be very much right when it comes to the uh, the outcome being a breakaway. I uh, I see that Movistar needs to try something. Like, they haven't gotten anything oh, yeah. out of this Catalonia. They need to try something. Soler is not looking too bright. Corona is looking better than Soler, which means a lot. And I don't know who else can can try and win this one. I, I'd love to name, like, a rider that Indeed. I could say, this man could say. Rich. Perhaps I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say, uh, yeah, that's a very good question. I don't have a clue. So I'm going to Alex straight up out Clément Champoussin. Okay. You want to be like that? All right. Yeah. I want to be yeah. like that. picks. I hope Israel let Impy in the break. He hasn't looked too crash hot. But yeah, Moharich, I feel a bit stronger about. Uh, Dion Smith as well, and uh, Dion Smith, Alexander Camp. If there's a fairly large break, I think, yeah, they're good shouts for the stage. And if there's not a break and they're in the bunch, well, Sagan, Dion Smith, Alexander Camp, because the sprint field here 
is non-existent. Um, <laughs> I nearly forgot Benji. Mark Hershey, where is he? Are you surprised? Uh, he's clearly not where he needs to be, that's for sure. He was in that 44-man group and he just dropped when it started going up. So or was he in there? He was in there. So uh, that says a lot, I think. And um, I had a, a message earlier today. Hershey watched, question mark. I don't think he's watched, but he's clearly not where oh, he needs geez. to be. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a bit early much. to call someone watched, but... <laughs> uh, he's literally like 22 years old. <laughs> in his first race of the year and he seemed to work into it last year i think uh as well he did he did provence to the maritime duvar and dauphine without i mean better results that must be said at the end of the dauphine but provence and etc the other races nothing outlandish and then the tour he was on form, so expect him to be better at Basque Country in that starts in just over a week, and then he's got a bit of a gap, and then Amstel, Flesh, Liège, which are his big targets, obviously before Swiss Tour de France. So this is the start of a pretty long uh, block for him. Although now nah, there's a month and a half between Liège and Swiss, but yeah, he's peaking for Flesh and Liège, not for Catalonia, it seems. But that was our Catalonia Stage 5 recap. Stage 6, hopefully, be pretty chaotic tomorrow before the circuit in Barcelona on Stage 7. Hope you enjoyed it. Give us a review on whatever podcast player you listen to, or if you watch on YouTube, like the video. You never like the videos because it's a podcast, but y'all need to like the videos. Support us with the algorithm. Come on. Mystery complaining is back. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.